look at this passage uh, again. The Proverbs is the uh, book of wisdom. There's actually eight imperatives. I don't know if you know what an imperative is or not. I'm uh, a math major. I'm not an English major. Uh, but uh, I'm told that an imperative is a command. And so we have actually uh, eight imperatives here. It's interesting. Uh, did anybody notice uh, some repeated words? Anyone? Do, do, you, do you talk back to your preacher? What did you notice? Okay, wisdom and knowledge were repeated. All right. Anyone else? This is good. Anyone else noted, notice any repeated words? There's actually a number of um, uh, conditional statements uh, in there. Uh, in fact, the very first verse starts with one, my son. Notice the word if. See it? If. And then he says some things. Down in verse 3, he says, yea or yes, if. See that? Verse 4, if. And so um, this is actually God speaking to us, uh, and he's saying to us, if such and such, if you'll do this, then you go down to verse um, 7, no, 5, excuse me, 5. Then, then shalt thou understand. Notice verse 9, then shalt thou understand. And so he's giving us a conditional statement. If you'll do this, then something will happen. You'll understand. Now, I don't know about you, but a lot of people struggle with this thing of obeying God's Word. Uh, God's Word sometimes is very uh, specific, very clear. But uh, not easy to understand why we need to do that. Let me give you an example. In uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44, Jesus there said, Love your enemies. Now that's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> he goes on to explain how we're to do that. He actually gives us three things in that passage that we're to do. He says, Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Have you ever had anyone curse you? Have you ever had anyone hate you? Have you ever had anyone despitefully use you and persecute you? All of us have, right? Jesus said you need to love them. Now, our problem is in uh, the society in which we live, we have a warped definition of what love is. We think love is a feeling. In order for me to love someone, I have to feel good about them. Love's not a feeling. Love is a choice. Love is a command. Love is an action. In fact, Jesus in that passage, he said, love your enemies, and here's how you do it. He says, you bless them, you do good to them, and you pray for them. Now, you may not have a good feeling toward those enemies, but let me ask you a question. Can you say kind things to them? You may not feel like it, but can you do that? At least, you know, 
if you agree with me, do this. If you don't agree with me, do this. Okay. Uh, you don't have to speak out, but uh, can you do that? Really? Seriously? Sure. You may not want to. You may not feel like it. It may be difficult, but you can because Jesus is not asking you to do something impossible. So he says, bless them. Can you do good things to them? You can. Can you pray for them? All right, now listen. Be careful about that, praying for them. Don't pray, God, would you send lightning down out of heaven to strike them? (laughs) You know, that's not the type of praying you ought to be doing for them. They may be unsaved, and so pray for their salvation. Um, They may be going through a tough time themselves. Pray for their health. Pray for, you know, the situations that are going on in their lives, whatever it is. But it's amazing that Jesus gave us that command to love our enemies, and at first glance we look at that and we say, wow, I don't understand. They treated me unfairly. They treated me hatefully. I don't understand. And therefore, a lot of times it blocks us from obeying. We don't obey because we don't understand. Do you follow what I'm saying here? We struggle with understanding. Now, what the point that I want to make today is in Proverbs chapter 2 here, there's some conditions that we need to fulfill if we're going to have understanding. If we do some things, he says, then you'll understand. Let's look a little closer. Look at uh, verse 1 there. He says, if, he uses the word receive, he says, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments uh, with thee. Where, where's God's words, by the way? In your heart. Well, hopefully they're in your heart. Where are they, first of all? In the Bible. And if we take the words that are in the Bible and put them in our heart, then we'll not sin against him. That's what the Word of God says. He says, if thou wilt, notice, receive, or the idea is to accept. He says, if we will hide uh, my commandments or God's commandments with thee, and that literally has the idea of storing them up uh, within us. That has the idea of memorization, putting them in our mind and in our heart. He goes on, he says, so that thou shalt incline thine ear. That means to listen. Hopefully you're doing that this morning. As we're, we're reading the Word of God, you're listening to it. Uh, he says, if thou wilt apply thine heart, application means obedience. James said something very interesting uh, with, with, with respect to uh, this thing of the relationship between hearing the Word of God and doing the Word of God or obeying the Word of God. And he said, you know, we're not to be a hearer only. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians only hear the Word of God. The Word of God is designed to literally change us to be more like Jesus Christ. And when Jesus said, love your enemies, he's really trying to help us to become like him. Jesus loved his enemies, didn't he? When he was on the cross being crucified by his enemies, what did he do? He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
Now, it's not exactly what he commanded us to do. He was not only our teacher, he was not only God, he was not only our teacher, but he was our example. He lived out in his life what we are to do. And even though we have a sin nature and it's a struggle for us to do those things, it's not impossible. Now, the things that make it impossible and the things that, that, uh, that I, I shouldn't say that make it impossible, the things that we make it impossible is we listen to the, the uh, excuses of our flesh and the excuses of Satan. And they discourage us. They defeat us. And that's why we struggle uh, in our obedience. So he says there in that first uh, three verses, he says, if we'll receive it, if we'll hide it, if we'll incline it, if we'll apply it. Then he goes on in, um, he says, if you'll cry after it. Uh, in, verse, um, in verse three, he says, if you'll cry after it. He says, if you'll lift up your voice. In verse uh, 4, if you'll seek after her as silver. I don't know um, if you've ever seen some of these older Western movies where you had the gold rushes and, you know, uh, people looking for uh, gold and silver. These miners were passionate uh, about going out. You know, when they would start digging, they were passionately looking for even the smallest little nugget. And so here... He's talking about we're, we're to seek after her. Seek after wisdom is the her there. Uh, as we would seek after silver. We need to search after her as a miner would after gold or after silver. So we're to receive God's word. We're to hide his commandments. We're to incline or listen for wisdom. We're to apply it so that we can get understanding. Uh, we're to cry after that knowledge and, and lift up our voice with respect to understanding. Seek the wisdom and search after it. So he says, if you will do these things, then he begins um, the then aspect of it. Notice. You already shifted it on me, didn't you? Thank you so much. Uh, if uh, Then he says, then we will get understanding in verse 5. Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord. By the way, where is the beginning of wisdom? In the fear of the Lord. And he says, so then you'll, if you'll do these things, he says, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For God giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler for them that walk uprightly. And the idea for a buckler is a shield, like you'd have in military to defend yourself with, or protection. So he is our protection. He is our defense. He says he keepeth the paths of judgment, and preserveth the way of his saints. I don't know about you, but I want that stuff. Amen. I want it in my life. I want wisdom. I want the knowledge of God. I want to know what God said. I want his protection. I want the fear of the Lord. 
I want his preservation. I want him to preserve me. And then verse 9 says, Then shalt thou understand righteousness, judgment, and equity, or uprightness. Equity is uprightness. Yea, every good path. So the idea is that understanding comes, and I've got the word after highlighted there, understanding comes after we obey. We don't get the then unless we do the ifs. If, then. Now, let me give you a Bible example. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 5. Very familiar passage, I'm sure, uh, to you. Um, in this passage, we have a man by the name of Naaman. Uh, in verse 1, we find out that he is a captain of the host of the uh, Syrian army. He is a great man, uh, has a great position with his master, with the king. He is honorable. Uh, he is uh, also a mighty man of valor. But he's a leper. Now, leprosy was like cancer uh, today. Uh, but it was visible. A lot of times people get cancer today and they don't know it until it has progressed. In this day, uh, back in the Old Testament, when people got leprosy, their skin turned white. And it usually affected the extremities first, the fingers, the toes, the ears, the nose. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of someone that gets leprosy, but it is a really bad disease. Well, apparently Naaman had uh, just uh, recently contracted leprosy. The interesting thing is that Naaman, um, Naaman was a very powerful man. He had a high prestigious position. Uh, he was probably a very wealthy man. Um, he was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. Um, and he, Syria was a very ungodly, wicked nation. And so as we would look at this, we might say, well, you know, he deserves that. You know, he's of the, the people that, you know, are really inhumane to the rest of humanity. And they were. In fact, he had, and in his conquest of, of Israel, he had... Uh, taken uh, a little girl, teenage girl, taken her captive and brought her back uh, to be a servant for his wife. Now that little girl, we don't know her name, but she is an example of one that loved her enemies. She found out that, um, verse 2 there, she found out, this little maid found out that Naaman had leprosy as she uh, worked for Naaman's wife. And she said, apparently, in the hearing of uh, his, uh, his wife, you know, it, it's too bad that he's not down in Samaria where the man of God, the prophet of God, could heal him of his leprosy. That man was Elisha. And so 
finally the word got to Naaman, and so he uh, goes to his king, the king of Syria, in verse uh, 5 there. The king of Syria says, yeah, I mean, it's a hopeless situation. You get leprosy, I mean, that's it. That's your death warrant. It's just a matter of time, and you are going to die. And it didn't matter who you were in society. If you were um, known to have leprosy, then you were ostracized. You were uh, isolated. You were put outside the camp, outside the city, outside uh, where people live because they thought leprosy was contagious. In fact, in the Jewish nation, there were laws uh, for the lepers. They had leper colonies. And uh, this leprosy not only affected their health um, physically, but it affected them emotionally and socially. They were isolated from every other human being that was well. That meant their family. That meant the people they worked with. Um, they couldn't associate with them in any way. They had to go become a part of a leper colony. Listen to this which almost always stayed near the city dump. And the reason was because that's the only place they could get something to eat. And they had to fight the wild dogs to, to uh, just get a piece of garbage that hadn't completely decayed so they could just sustain their life. There were laws that were written for a leper that said, if, he was, if a leper was walking down the road and someone else was coming toward him, he had to move to the other side and he had to lift up his voice at least three times and cry out in a loud voice, Leper! 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 So that the people could make sure they stayed on the other side. I don't know about you, but that would be pretty depressing. Knowing you're going to die but yet having to announce it to literally every healthy person you met. They couldn't see their spouses anymore, their children. They were outcast. No doubt Naaman realized that was his destiny. And he's desperate. He's willing to do anything. And so he goes to his king, and, and the king says, okay, uh, it's worth a try. He says, uh, I'll write a letter to the king of uh, Israel, send it down there. And so he did that, and the king of Israel, who was Jehoram, was just about as evil and wicked um, as the king of Syria. He didn't know God either. And so he ends up taking a very uh, offensive position and says, well, what in the world is he trying to do? Pick a fight with me? I can't. You know, I can't heal anybody. Now, it's amazing. Apparently, he made that very vocal, and apparently somebody in the court there heard that and got the message down to Elisha. Let's pick up in verse uh, 8, 2 Kings verse 8, and it says, It was so that when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel uh, had rent his clothes... And that means he literally ripped his clothes in anger over what this king of Syria was asking him to do. He says that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? He says, Let him, Naaman, come now to me. 
And he shall know, look at this, and Naaman shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Now you know the story, and I'm not going to take the time to keep reading it here because I've got some, a couple of things I want to point out to you. But in this example, uh, Naaman, uh, the, the prophet told Naaman after he came down there, knocked on, knocked on the door, Naaman was a man of prestige, high position. There's a protocol. If you've ever been in the military, there's a protocol. You know, if you're um, a private and, you know, a general comes toward you, there's a certain protocol that you must follow or you can be reprimanded for that. And so Naaman, uh, no doubt, as he came down to this province, he was, first of all, a visiting dignitary, military leader from another country. He expected the prophet to at least come out and acknowledge his position. Elisha didn't do that. Elisha sent his servant to the door to answer the door. Elisha knew who he was, who had come to the door, he sent his servant and said, now this is what you need to tell him. Um, and so in verse 10, we find what he told him to do. In the middle of verse 10, he says, go and wash in the Jordan, that's the Jordan River, seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Very simple command. It was exactly what Naaman was seeking, he was seeking how to be clean. The Jordan uh, River is estimated about, it was probably about 20 miles away. So he had to travel a little distance. You know, if you'll do what I say, God says, then you will be clean. If then, if then, remember? Proverbs 2. Naaman had a totally different response. In fact, a response that's probably very similar to one that we have when we hear the command of God, when we hear the Word of God, when we don't understand why God says what He says. Notice verse 11, And Naaman was wroth. Do you know what that word wroth, King James word means? Mad. No, mad. We don't use that too much today. It means mad. He was upset. He was upset for a number of things. And he went away, it says, and said, Behold, I, what's the word? Thought. I thought. This is what I imagine would happen when I come down here. He says, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. So he's got this imaginary um, scene where he would come down there, knock on the door, the, the prophet would come out, you know, treat him with great respect, and then the prophet would go hocus pocus and wave his hands or do something, you know, and all of a sudden, poof, he'd be clean. No more leprosy. By the way, he bought, brought a lot of money and uh, things with him that he was willing to pay much to be healed. There are a lot of people that have a lot of money 
that would pay a great price to get their health back. But no amount of money can get their health back apart from God giving it to them. Well, Naaman, he's upset. And he makes some excuses here, aren't there? are rivers in Damascus, he says, that are better, cleaner. By the way, the Jordan was a dirty, filthy river, um, contaminated. And he said, um, you know, aren't, aren't, there, aren't these rivers back here, aren't they sufficient or better? And so he turned away at the end of verse 12 there, and he went away in a rage. Then one of his servants said to him, you know, if the prophet had bid thee to come or do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? If he just said, do 50 push-ups, this military man could have done, no doubt, 50 push-ups. If he just said, climb some mountain, he could have climbed that mountain. If he had given him some, you know, physical feat or monetary amount that he had to pay or whatever. There is no doubt in my mind that Naaman could have done that. But the servant says, he didn't ask you to do something great or hard. or He just asked you to go dip yourself in the river seven times. I mean, what's hard about that? Why don't you just do it? The reason he didn't do it is because, listen, he did not understand. He didn't understand why he had to do it. It wasn't the way he thought it should be done. It didn't, it didn't match up with the way things were done in his home country. But you know the story how he did ultimately said, you know, you're right. He goes down to the Jordan and he begins to dip. He dips once. He comes up. Is the leprosy gone? Nope. Twice. Three times. Four. Five. The leprosy gone? Nope. You know, when we have an issue sometimes that we have taken to God and we're trying to obey God um, like this loving your enemies, we try that thing of blessing them, saying good things to them. We try that, that thing of, of, of being kind to them and even praying for them. And I've had people to come back to me and they say, that doesn't work. And I say, wait a minute, what didn't work? And they say, they're still mean and hateful to me. They still curse me. In fact, even worse than they did before. And I ask them, I said, well, what was your motive? Was your motive to get them to change, to be nice to you? If that was your motive, that's the wrong motive. Mm, If your motive was to glorify God by obeying His Word, then it worked. You did it. You see, that's where we need to obey God and trust Him for the results. That's why Naaman, he couldn't understand how in the world dipping in this dirty river was ever going to clean his leprosy. You know, our ways aren't even close to being God's ways. Amen. That's good. His ways are so far above our ways. 
You see, that's why we have to have faith. That's why we can't understand in the beginning. That's why it sounds crazy and foolish. By the way, the Bible says for the unsaved man, the Bible, the Word of God is foolishness. Preaching is foolishness to them. They can't understand it. And unfortunately, many Christians don't. But as he dipped the sixth time, the leprosy was still there. But something unique happened on the seventh time. As he came up out of the water, notice in verse um, 14, it says that his flesh became like that of a little child, and he was clean. Now, I can imagine the jubilee that flooded his soul when the leprosy was gone. But you know, there's something interesting that happened in verse 15. It says, And he returned to the man of God, and he and all his company, and he came and stood before him and said, Look at this. Behold, now... What's the next two words? Now I know. You know what he's saying? Now I understand. Now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing from thy servant. He wanted to pay the prophet. You know, you give me something, I give you something. That's the mentality. The prophet said, no, I'm not going to take anything. I didn't do anything. All I did was explain to you what God wanted you to do. Now, the interesting thing here is that as we think about um, Naaman in this example, I think there's a parallel between our lives many times. You know, uh, Naaman uh, somehow got leprosy. I don't know how he got it. But God permitted him to have it. No doubt so this passage could be recorded in Scripture for even us today. You know, we don't plan when God deals with us like he dealt with Naaman. This week you may get some really shocking news or information or whatever. You didn't plan for that. But God knew it was going to happen. And God permitted it to happen. And no matter how bad or discouraging or defeating it is, God allowed it to happen in your life. Now I could go on and, and, and encourage you with the fact that God only does those things that are good. He only allows things that are good in our life. But I'm going to tell you, when you're in the middle of getting the news from the doctor and he says it's cancer, stage four, inoperable, that's pretty heavy stuff. That's kind of what Naaman got. You know, we don't plan when God deals with us. But you know, if we're going to get out of a situation that we're in, we always have a way. We have a plan. Or we have an expectation, as Naaman did. 
We want it to be done our way. And a lot of times God allows things to come into our life because he wants to change us his way. You see, Naaman didn't believe in God. Naaman didn't respect God until he was healed. He didn't understand about this God of Israel until God healed him. But my point is, God didn't heal him until he first of all obeyed. I've had people on soul winning to tell me, you know, everybody's a child of God. That's not according to the Bible. It says, as many as received him, Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons or children of God. We're not all children of God unless we've received Jesus Christ as our Savior. And when we do that, boy, things change. Our whole understanding of the Word of God, of God changes, of life, our philosophy, our purpose, our direction. Boy, when Naaman had an encounter with God and he obeyed God, all of a sudden, now he understands. And I want to encourage us today. Um, there, there are many other examples. Here, here's three other examples. The widow of Zarephath, you remember that? Elijah, mm-hmm. by the brook, uh, he was being fed and watered, uh, got water at the brook when the famine was in the land, and then God dried the brook up and told him, you know, you go to Zarephath, and, and he says, there's a widow there to sustain these. She didn't have anything except enough uh, meal and oil to uh, make one last uh, meal for her and her son, and then they were going to die. And the prophet comes and says, you know, God told me to tell you, give me a cake first. I'm going to tell you, that, that doesn't sound very good to me. From a human logical standpoint, you know what I'm saying? Sounds like the prophet's being a little arrogant here, asking a woman for her last meal for her and her little son. But that's because we don't understand until after we obey. But boy, once she obeyed, she understood because God made sure that her and her son and those in her household had sufficient food till the famine was over with. It's amazing. It's amazing what we can understand if we'll obey God first. Joseph, I mean, the story of Joseph is just an amazing story. Hated by his family, sold into slavery. In fact, they tried to kill him first. God wouldn't let that happen. Sold into slavery. But he, all along, he just sought to glorify God and do right the whole time. And as a result, um, his master's wife lied that he tried to seduce her. And as a result, he was thrown into prison.